0: Hello, oh, and welcome to the Giddy Carousel of Pop, the podcast that takes an old issue of the swing pop mag smash it, usually from the 80s, although we may slide a year or two either side of that, and has a good nose to its pages with a guest who could be a pop kid, someone who worked on the mag, or maybe someone who appeared in its pages. I'm Simon Galloway, and he'd like to get to know you well. It's Gavin Hogg. Sorry, so I was on mute there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: How you doing, Simon? All right. I'm all right, yes. <laughs> it's, it's not, we should explain to our uh, lovely readers that we're uh, actually here in the flesh.
2: Readers? Uh, readers. That's, that's a smash-its
1: thing. Uh, that's okay. what they say, yeah. Sorry.
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they say listeners on Smash It, so. <laughs> or viewers, viewers. Or viewers, yeah. or, or, or whichever you prefer. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. we're actually here together in, in the flesh, back together again. Wow. For the first time in, well, it's been a long time. So... Before we set the carousel in motion, we have a few hellos and thank yous to those people who've supported the podcast by buying us a coffee. Indeed we do, cite si. Rachel Gallatly, previous guest on the podcast, says, Keep
1: up the excellent work, pop kids. Thank you very much, Rachel. Vivian Webster says, As I'm later in life to be introduced to the Giddy Carousel, can I just say what a delightful treat. I'm loving it. Such fantastic memories and recollections around all the best tunes and fantastic guests. Thank you, Hoggy and Simon. Wow, that's our new name. <laughs> when we put our, uh, our first album out, not yeah. Simon Garfunkel, Hoggy and Simon. Hoggy and Simon. Hoggy yeah. and Simon. And Alex Simpson, thank you very much, says the last episode was of brilliant. And that, of course, was our episode with Paul Hanley. He said, uh, could your guest be on every week? There was one brilliant thing he said, but I'll have to listen again to remember what it was. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan, Alex. Thank you very much. Also, <laughs> thank you very much to Rob Freeman
0: and Pete Brusted for their coffees indeed and if you want to support us you too can do the same it's very simple and it can be just a one-off thing or you can buy us as many coffees as you like as often as you like it's up to you just go to coffee.com slash giddy pod that's k-o hyphen f-i dot com slash giddy pop pod and chuck us a few quid to help keep the carousel spinning and now i think the time has come to welcome our guest onto the carousel gavin who's joining for the poptastic ride of a lifetime well, sir, as our last guest departs the carousel, it's
1: time to scan the sea of eager, expectant faces once more at the fairground to see who will be mounting a wooden horse today. Just looking around, and I can spy someone with a poetry book in one hand, a carousel token in the other, and she's wearing a Howard Jones T-shirt. <laughs> Strange enough, she looks remarkably like my wife. <laughs> Blimey, Charlie, it <laughs> is! How does she even know my work? Is must have followed me down. <laughs> Fresh from a Philip Larkin Society meeting, it's Lynn Lockwood. The Deputy Chair of said August Body. Welcome aboard Lynn. Which horse would you like to sit on?
2: Uh I'll have um the, the brown one with the white spots and the pink bow in its hair.
1: It's all yours. Thank you very <laughs> much. It's got a comfy saddle. Oh yeah,
2: so like that one. Get yourself on <laughs> Thank and uh, you. yeah, let's I might ride. need a cushion, I'm quite sure. Okay. We we supply cushions don't Yeah,
0: we? yeah, we can do cushions. That's yeah, great. that's fine. Thank that's you, you very much. You're very <laughs> welcome. We, we cater for all sizes. <laughs> So the carousel has spun us back to the Smash Hits of the 3rd to the 16th of July, 1985, which Lynn has singled out for special attention. As ever, if you want to read along with us, you can do just that. Thanks to the Like, Punk, Never Happened and Smash Hits Remembered websites, you'll find the links to the scans of this issue in the show notes for this episode, along with those Spotify and YouTube playlists that include pretty much all the songs and artists featured in this issue of Ver Hits. Um, You'll also find these links on our website, giddypoppod.home.blog, and we'll post them on our Twitter and Facebook feeds as well. Just search for the Giddy Carousel of Pop or at Giddy Pop Pod. So, before
1: we clamber aboard the carousel, let's set the scene. Lynn, what were you up to in July
2: 1985? Uh, I was 14, and I was a schoolgirl at uh, an all-girls school in Hertfordshire, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was choosing my options, I think, at that point, and... uh, finding out that I was going to have to do physics for O-Level. So I wasn't too happy about that. Why
1: did you have to do physics?
2: Because I only had to do one science, and that was the only one that fitted in on my options block, as, and it's burned into my memory, Clearly. As, you can, <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell.
1: 35 years later, still yeah, rank.
2: still, 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 still complaining about being forced to pick physics. Um, yeah, so I was at the end of what they call now year nine, but I think we called it the third year then. Mm. Um, I was very, very on call. I had a mullet and um, braces and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's very geeky. I think when I got my photo- my end-of-year photograph from school, I hid it from my mum and refused. <laughs> <laughs> I lost it on the way home. Just threw it in a bush. Yeah, I threw it in a bush. I was, I was aware of how geeky I was, I think, at that Aww. point. Um. So, yeah, so that's where I was. And um, 1985 was a good year for me. I picked this because this smash hits is me at, like, at, at the crossroads, where I was getting really tired of my geeky image, hmm. and I was time heading for a makeover, girlfriend. Hiding, yeah, yeah, new image on the on the uh, horizon for yeah. me.
1: So, tell us about the music you were listening to around this time.
2: I was I was listening to kind of a lot of different music. Uh, I was I was a big fan of Howard Jones at that point. I was I was actually in the Howard Jones fan club and I literally had the badge and the and the little card and the little... It was like a little black and silver passport book because <laughs> Howard's very formal, you know. Yeah. So he'd send you a little book to welcome ah. you into his... his uh, and you could
1: then his... travel to the land of <laughs>
2: yeah. Howard Jonesville and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. get it stamped. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> Anything uh, to declare. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, that was nice. But I think I'd sort of been looking at stuff that I'd been buying around that time... So, like I say, it was a bit of a kind of pivotal year. So I was getting into things. I'd been listening to The Cure and um, The Damned and uh, Simple Minds. But I was still listening to, you know, Culture Club and Howard Jones and Nick Kershaw. And, but I think just slightly aware that there was more to life than just kind of pop music.
1: Mm. So you had a bit of a... So in both camps, as it were. Yeah. Camps, yeah.
2: And I know when we, we look back on it and we think Howard Jones is really blunt, and I don't have, like, a massive soft spot for Howard Jones, even now. I threw away all my scrapbooks, didn't I, a couple yeah. of years it ago? Did. It was <laughs>
1: night of the long lines for Howard Jones, wasn't it?
2: Like, these mean nothing to me. And <laughs> I threw them in the bin. And uh, I went to see Howard Jones live a few years ago on my own because nobody would go with me. And uh, I was like, oh, this would be brilliant. I'll just, uh, you know, relive all my memories and it, and it wasn't that great, to be honest. And about half an hour into the show, everyone was shouting, what is love, what is love? <laughs> and I'd had to stop the proceedings and say, if I play what is love now, you'll all go home. So I'm not playing it till the end. <laughs> yep. So we all had to sit and listen like, and politely applause to everything that he played and waited till the end till he played What Is Love, and then he played it about 48 times. So it's a bit like when you go and see Josephine in your tentacle, a Dream Dreamcoat because they actually haven't got a lot of very good songs. So you sit through the whole musical and then they just play the songs all over again about 20 times at the end. Um But, yeah, I actually really liked Howard Jones at the time, and I think I liked him because uh I bought the first single, I bought a new song when it came out, and I think... It was the first time in my life, I think, I bought the first single by an artist and was kind of there at the beginning. And then I bought, you know, um, What Is Love and uh, just just kind of buying the singles in the first album and the second album and joining the fan club fairly early on just gave me a bit of a sense of what it's like to be in at the start of something.
1: You were invested.
2: I was invested at yeah. that point, yeah. yeah. It was very important to me. And I used to buy the singles and the 12 Inches and they had a really good little fan club, but it was very, yeah. very personal. His wife, I think, and his mum ran it. Uh, and you could write them all sorts of silly things. And i would always send you a little postcard back. And um, I think they oh. sent me a postcard once. And it was like a black and white postcard of Howard. And it had Howard signed on it in like silver marker pen. You know, like everything in the 80s was signed with silver marker pen. And I remember <laughs> writing back to them saying, thank you for this did Howard really sign it? <laughs> and they wrote back to me and, like, yes, Howard did really sign it. <laughs> I fancy going through all that trouble. And they're like, no, no, yes, Howard did really sign it. <laughs> That's nice. And I, I went uh, yeah. to, yeah, saw him some, in some concerts, saw him in uh, Wembley Arena. Uh, so they were the first sort of big live shows I went to. Hmm. And I know people, like, kind of laughed at him and laughed at Jed and I know there was all sorts of... I'm sure, the, you know, Little and Large or whatever, he probably took the mickey out of him. But, um, yeah, I had a soft spot for him. And even now, looking back on him, I think the lyrics are, are they are different. They are different from, like, Duran Duran, or whatever, you know. They weren't about the 80s stuff of being glamorous because Howard Jones was never going to be glamorous. It was more about eating vegetarian food and being nice to each other.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a kind of consciousness in there. There was it? a lot, actually. Yeah.
2: yeah, and that Humans Live album... You know, had some kind of philosophy in it, which mm. was quite nice,
1: I thought. And what about um Smash It's? When did Smash It's first cross your path?
2: Uh, I, I don't really remember the first time I bought it, but I know by this point I was buying it every fortnight and really enjoying it and reading it from cover to cover. Um I dabbled with a few things like Just 17. I think, was that David Hepworth as well? Wasn't it was, it? Just yeah, yeah. Yeah, I dabbled with a few of those things and then eventually got into you know, enemy and stuff. Uh, but um, Smash it was just a sense of humour. It was our sense of humour at school, like alongside French Disorders and, and Young Ones and that, that kind of all the Tom Hibbert stuff, you know, Sir, Sir Clifford of Richard and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So I've still got one or two friends that, you know, I'm still a little bit in touch with from secondary school and we very quickly lapse into the young ones and the smash hits lingo—it's yeah. just the lingo of a generation. I mean, when David Hepworth came up to uh, Glossop, uh, when was that? Two, or three years ago, and he did three a three or four years ago, I think. Yeah. Twenty eighteen, yeah, was it? And we we were sitting in the uh, restaurant, and I I just remember saying to him, "Oh, you know," he wasn't really listening to me, but I was saying, oh, the, you know the language of smash hits." It just completely changed my life and the way that I communicated with my friends. But I think he's heard that so many times. Possibly, I think he was yeah. like, yeah. yeah." <laughs> <laughs> I'll have another glass of red wine, please. He's <laughs> <laughs> very lovely, David Hepworth. And Mark Helen as well. I've got a real memory from around about this time of watching Mark Helen on um, Whistle That's, Test yeah. uh, when they were uh, on the Orient Express with The Cure. It was probably round about this time when The Cure were doing, you know, close to me and stuff like that. And he went, he got on the uh, little dining car and I just thought that was the most exotic thing I'd ever seen in my life, sitting with The Cure on an old, like, railway carriage going to Vienna, drinking champagne with Robert Smith. I mean, how how brilliant would that be? How brilliant. (laughs) But that was the sort of thing, Smash I know that wasn't full smash hits, but that was Mark Ellen Singh, wasn't it? Just... That's what Smash Hits did. They sat with the pop stars and ordered some ketchup to go with the haddock and chips or whatever on the Orient Express and just kind of did really mundane things and just brought them to life, brought them free up mm. to reality. And seeing Robert Smith and Simon Gallup all kind of with their black, spiky hair, all like hunched up in their little <laughs> end <head-balling laughs> train carriage, knowing they're meant to be quite well behaved, but probably not managing it. It's just brilliant, just brilliant.
1: Sorry, what about you? What were you up to uh, around this time? I know we've covered the the next episode, yeah. uh, the next issue of Smash yeah. It. Yes.
2: Well, yeah.
0: yeah. So, the, so next, the next issue of Smash It is the Live Aid issue. So uh, listeners, if you want to go back and find the episode that we did last year for the 35th anniversary of Live Aid, uh, you can find out. All about uh, what we were up to and uh, what other people were up to around about that time. But yeah, I mean, summer '85, well, 1985, but particularly the summer of '85 is like my peak pop period. It's my my absolute favourite um, year for pop music. It's not necessarily the best year for pop music, but it's my favourite year. And if you want to hear more about that, (laughs) listen to the Live Aid episode, but also uh, the um, Back to Now podcast with Pop Rambler, uh, guested on that last year, talking about um, Now That's What I Call Music 5, which is from the summer of 85. But also... And this is something I haven't mentioned on any of the other podcasts. It's um, an exclusive. Exclusive. <laughs> you heard it here first, Pop Kids. Uh, I've been going through a load of stuff in the loft and clearing it out and stuff like that. And I found uh, a, a folder full of clippings and stuff from a rival pop magazine. Ooh. I was flirting with number one. I was gonna oh, say number, number one. Man. Number one in the summer of 85. Yeah.
2: Is that the one that had the lyrics, Main lyrics? It, they had lyrics
0: and posters, but the, the colour was never quite as good as mm. Smash It's and the, mm. the features were never quite as good as Smash It's. But they kept having an artist that I liked. So, mm. you know, I, I, as well as getting my Smash It's every fortnight, mm. in between times, because my school was just across the road from the newsagent, I'd uh, I'd go in, buy an X jukebox single and a copy of number one.
1: Oh.
0: Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I hope Dave Hepworth and Mark Ellen aren't listening. <laughs> so, yeah, that was me in, in summer of 85. What about you, Gav?
1: Well, again, you know, we've uh, we've kind of covered this period on the uh, the Live Aid uh, edition, but um, from my teenage diary, oh, I've is, got a few highlights. This is the first time I've seen it in the flash. Yeah, this oh. is what it looks like. This, <laughs> this is actually it. Um, so July the 5th, th- this is just a little window into uh, my world at uh, uh, this time. I would have been... Uh, I was 15 at the end of March, so uh, coming up to, well, 15 and a bit. um, I was towards the end of uh, what's now year 10 or year 4, back in the day in old money. So going into the last year of school before too long. Um, This tells you a little bit about the kind of music that I like. So July the 5th, saw Adamant on Wogan, had a short interview and played Viva La Rock. Preston gave me an ant badge. Auntie June is coming on Sunday. (laughs) So there you go. July the 6th. The Saturday, uh, I must have gone into um, Birmingham Town Centre. I lived in Sully Hall. But this joke isn't funny anymore, 7-inch by the Smiths. Also, Tomb of Memories, I think it was a Paul Young single. Paul Young, yeah. Let's Dance by the Dame, obviously, and You're the Best Thing. They would have been old ex-jukebox singles, mm. I think, uh, and got a U2 T-shirt, so I'm obviously very excited about that. July the 7th. Auntie June came over for tea from 3.15, very precise. <laughs> uh, uh, Boris Becker won Wimbledon, so I won a 50p bet with me mum. That was, that was a lot of money back in the day, you know. That's another single. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then uh, July the 11th, this is, uh, I must have been in a bad mood this day, got crooked neck and feel bloody awful, went to golf range and played bloody crap. A horrible day. Live Aid on Saturday. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's so Adrian Mole.
0: Yeah, really is, not it? <laughs> Right. Well, shall we get stuck into this uh, let's, this edition then? Let's shall
2: do we? It. Oh, we'll I'll talk about the front cover.
0: So, uh, the front cover. I mean, it's, in terms of design, it's uh, very minimal. Uncluttered, it's dominated by um, a photo of uh, a smiling Howard Jones underneath a bright yellow umbrella. I'm guessing it's a golfing umbrella, that it's a very big umbrella.
2: Yeah, he was quite a small man, though. (laughs) Might
0: just be normal size, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Just a normal normal (laughs) umbrella (laughs) over the minuscule Howard Jones (laughs) against a uh, well, it's it's probably an evening sky. Uh, There's what looks like a big building or something like that in the background. And uh, that, that kind of blue that you get as the, uh, the sunset of, of an evening. Uh, the only other uh, photo on the front cover is uh, Max Headroom, the private life of Max Headroom. And on the front, there's nothing mentioned about any of the lyrics that are in there, anything like that. It's just Duran Duran, Simply Red, Green, Pete Burns, Live Aid, Jim Kerr. Um, so do you want to Lynn, tell us about this uh, photo a little bit?
2: I thought it was um, very, very typical of Howard Jones and how Howard Jones is portrayed because he's holding a very big umbrella in what looks some some very light rain because he's not taking any chances. Um, Mr um, Cautious.
0: Mr Cautious. <laughs> but, but with that with that mullet, you've got to be careful, you?
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, the mullet way, is but... a bit unfortunate. I think it, it shows his kind of hairline in a bit of an unflattering Light, really. But uh, I thought, no, it's, this is Howard, he's steady, you know. It could have been Howard opening the tin of baked beans, you know, Howard cleaning the gr- you know the grouting in the bathroom, Howard emptying the, the, the washing machine. But, no, it's Howard holding an umbrella. That's about as fun and exciting as you get. It's very clean living and sensible, are Howard.
0: Yeah, he's got a nice white scarf on. Yeah, a nice um, white scarf. And it's that
2: kind of, uh, what do they call it, the golden hour, isn't it, where it's that evening light gives it a bit of a golden glow
0: yeah. on his cheeky chops. Yeah, and he's wearing a, a, a coat which uh, the, the insides, the lining of the coat, is yellow to match the umbrella.
2: Yeah, lots of yellow and blue. Yeah, so it's quite a nice sort of eye-catching cover. I, I quite like yeah, it. it's
0: nice and clean, isn't it's it? It's
2: nice and clean, and he's looking off-camera. And, you know, he's not sort of gurning, like, some of the other Smash Hits covers where they're all kind of a bit you know like the Wham covers where they're all really like in your face and really posed it's a little bit more natural isn't it very natural yeah yeah yeah.
0: So we, we have to get to the uh, contents page to find out more about what's going on. I mean, you do anyway with Smash Hits, but to just find out what lyrics are in there. But in terms of features and colour, as it says here, that's posters to me and you. Uh, so Howard Jones, um, Duran Duran, a little bit about Live Aid, Vince Clark and Paul Quinn, um, Pete Burns, a nice centre spread of Pete, uh, Max Headroom, as previously mentioned. There's a Nights Out special. Let's see what they're doing there. Music Mud and Mayhem from Glastonbury, Nebworth and Milton Keynes, Uh, Jim Kerr from Simple Minds, and then what I'm guessing is probably the first appearance of uh, Simply Red Mm. in Smash Hits, And then the uh, songs that are featured in this issue are The Smiths, that joke isn't funny anymore, Uh, Elton John and Millie Jackson, Acts of War, the Style Council, come to Milton Keynes. The Damned, the Shadow of Love. hip Sway, the Broken Years. Dead or Alive, Into Deep. The Redskins, bring it down. Open brackets, this insane thing. Close brackets. The Commentators, Nana 19, not out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you got to get a novelty record in there. Uh, Eurythmics, there must be an angel playing with my heart. And uh, the, uh, the, the Books Fizz? No, just Books Fizz. Mm. Box Fizz, uh, you and your heart so blue. The Fizz. Uh, the Fizz. <laughs> uh, alongside all the, the usual uh, bits and reviews and whatnot, which we shall get to in due course. So then we turn the page and we are into bits.
1: We are indeed. So the usual potpourri of things in bits, we've got stuff about the Cocteau Twins uh, and Colourbox and... Uh, that's a great little thing about John Fox saying, could you live with the thought that you inspired Gary Newman to start making music? John Fox, who was in Ultravox before they were famous, has to.
0: <laughs> things like that. Lots of mention of Rocks Lost Highway yes, as well. I'd,
1: <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. And, and reading this issue again, I was like, oh, yeah, Rocks Lost Highway was a, <laughs> a thing. It was like a running theme, wasn't it, yes. for a while. And and it's in several of the um, the articles in bits. A couple of things that really um, caught my eye and will we'll come onto to you too. Uh, soon, but I really loved uh, the headline <laughs> for one of the articles. So there was a band called uh, Humpe, Humpe. Uh, they were two German, uh, as they called here, two German chiclets, and they call them a, a very Daffy Duck European group. Two sisters called uh, Annette and Inge Humpe, and they've just released their first single called The Three of Us, and uh, Martin Gore from Depeche Mode helps out on their up-and-coming LP thingy. Um it wasn't really the the story or or the photo in which they looked like very kind of new romantic. Um youngsters, but the, the headline was Humper, Humper, Stick It Up Your Jumper, which really just <laughs> made me laugh for about five minutes. I just I thought it was great. I loved that.
0: I, um, I've, I've become slightly obsessed with that song now. I don't, I don't know if you've listened to it I or have, watched yeah. the video. I, mean, I watched the yeah. video. It was yeah, quite, it's
1: quite, uh, quite a good 80s video, isn't it? Yeah. yeah
0: I mean, I can't, I can't quite work out what's going on in the video. So the song is called Three of Us, but there's two sisters. But is it – so there's three of them in, in the video – Is it one sister who's playing two parts or or are the three... Is it the two sisters and someone else? I mean, it kind of looks like... um, It's like it's made up of snippets of of Neighbours... And obviously, you know, we hadn't got Neighbours yet. It starts in Australia, but they do look like they've just kind of strolled in off Ramsey Street. <laughs> um, but it cut into cut with clips, like from a 1920s silent horror film, you know, you expect Bella Lugosi to to appear or or something like that. Um, it's just very, very strange. And it's, the, the verses are quite, quite dark in mm. a way. And then it goes into this kind of proper Euro pop chorus, which doesn't fit with the song at all. But I've listened to it several times in the last <laughs> few days. And there's one bit where um, one of the sisters, I think it, it's, it's not Inga, I think it's the... Uh, Annette. The, the, uh, Annette, yeah. Uh, she, she's playing the, I guess, the priest or the vicar or whatever, who's marrying the couple. Mm. And she kind of throws her head back and goes, yeah, like that, and, <laughs> and it's these these kind of like Lena Lovitch, Kate Bush kind mm. of stylings. Um mm. uh, but it's just the way she, she rolls her eyes with it as well. I'm, I had to keep rewinding that <laughs> bit. I think I've just, just got a little bit obsessed Quite with, taken uh, with, that, with, with humpy, humpy, oh, humpy. humpy, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: got to thank actually DJ Space Terrapin, um, a, a mutual friend of myself and Cy, uh, our German correspondent. Because I asked, I thought, I don't know if it's hump, humpy, humper. So, uh, he, he. Kind of gave me a a breakdown, phonetical breakdown of uh, how it should be. So humpe humpe I think I'm pretty hum, sure it is. Okay,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, I did have a quick look on uh, Wikipedia, and it says that the duo was known as Swimming with Sharks in the UK, probably due to the potential sexual connotations of the name "hump" in English. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I'm thinking maybe after this they were because the name Swimming with Sharks rings a bell, but um, yeah. Unless it's big. There was a movie by that name as well, wasn't Yeah.
0: There? Anyway. But, I mean, the only reason that I can think that they're being launched in, in the UK is is because of the success of 99 Red Balloons yeah, by yes. Naina the year before. And it's all part of that um, Neu Deutsche Welle, that, the German new wave. Yeah, and propaganda. Flag, um, Falco and Falco and, and people like that. So, yeah, I think they were just trying to, oh, they like Naina, so yeah. let's, let's, let's give him some hump. Yeah. <laughs> give it some hump. <laughs>
1: I also was quite uh, intrigued by the fact that James Bond makes an appearance in Smash It's, which is uh, unusual. There's a a little story about um, Duran Duran's new soundtrack song, View to a Kill, and some stuff about the film. And I was thinking, you know, for a long time, James Bond themes were by much more established, kind of, well, Duran Duran were established, but more kind of singers for your mums and dads, you know, like Shirley Bassey, Tom Jones, Lulu... Carly, Carly Simon, Simon exactly. Mm. You know the. I think all, all the previous four or five had been very kind of middle of the road, quite adult kind of singers, and then to have Duran Duran um, doing the theme tune, I thought that was that was quite interesting because then obviously after that it was a har, and then you got a bit more of a pop thing going on. And I think this is kind of the the turning point, really, and so it means that there is a bit of story uh, in bits about um, Due to a Kill. Um, Lynn, I know you wanted to talk a bit about the Madonna story in here, which is. Quite interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I know 1985 was a long time ago and and, and a different kind of uh, cultural landscape. Uh, but uh, as a as a feminist, I was quite dismayed by Madonna's treatment in this edition of Smash Hits. When you think at this point, well, as they say themselves, uh, Madonna was on a. I'm reading now from the article. Madonna was on a massive sell-out tour of the States. She had no less than six singles in the US top 40, one of them in the number one slot. And then there was her film Desperately Seeking Susan. As Frankie says, the world was her oyster. And she really was. She was absolutely huge at this point. And for me, a massive style icon. And that picture of her there as the character out Desperately Seeking Susan with her... Funky jacket and the black kind of ribbon in her hair and all the gold jewelry and the lace gloves and everything else and a little bit kind of gothic and a bit punky and very very New York street look. It just totally blew me away. She was an absolute star model for me. I went out and bought a a drum case. You know, in the film she uses a drum case as a suitcase. And I I did the, well, I don't think it was an actual drum case, but it was sort of a, like a round suitcase yeah. just to look like Madonna out of Desperately Seeking Season. And, you know, she was just like massive at that point. And what do they talk about? The whole point of that article was just to list all the boyfriends that she'd had. And it just, I just thought, you know, Duran Duran, as we'll come to in a bit, are pretty much down the dumper. And we know <laughs> poor old Adamant is sliding down, you know. Yeah. Dumper into the dumper as well. But, you know, Madonna was really on top of the world and she gets this little piece in bits about how many boyfriends, I mean, they're probably not even really were a boyfriend. We know she ended up getting married to Sean Penn. But Don Johnson, John F. Kennedy Jr., David Lee Roth and just this long list <laughs> Prince, <laughs> Poor woman. And, uh, I think they uh, picked something up at the back in mutterings about um, Madonna and toy boys and all this kind of stuff so yeah it, it reminds us that uh, 1985 was a very unfair world I think for women still and smash hits was just part of that It just reflected that and you were more likely to get a male cover star than a female cover star and you were more likely to have you know male bands at number one and it's good that you know the pop industry and the music industry is, is slowly like a great big giant sort of juggernaut, slowly turning that round now. Um, but, uh, yeah, this this I thought was a particular low point in 1985 for me. But there you go. She still looks good, doesn't she? When you compare to those pictures of Jelly Bean and David Lee Roth and everybody down the bottom. Yeah, she, she looks still, pretty cool, doesn't is she? Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, no, it's true. I mean, she was judging by that piece, she's been... Um, Held up to very different standards than uh, yeah. the, than, than, than the men were. and you know you can't imagine a similar kind of piece. I don't think on on any of the male pop stars, or it would have a different tone. You know, it just seemed like quite a bit, kind of a bit moralistic, you know, and, yeah. and not a little bit tutting, and also kind of taking the Mickey a bit. But yeah, yeah, and it's
2: that I word totally "chiclet." Was, the word "chiclet" comes up quite a lot, you know. Yeah. And, just, uh, but I just don't, I don't th- I don't believe for a minute really that you know the the riotous or smash hits were you know a particularly sexist bunch. I think it was just how it was. It was just, and things were changing, you know. And you got people like French and Saunders um, and Ruby Wax and people like that were coming along and being strong women that weren't relying on sort of being like films having film star looks or whatever. Even Madonna was quite unconventional in her appearance. You know, Grace Jones, one of the mentions of Grace Jones in here, in, I think in uh, one of the, the bits about uh, View to a Kill, you know, this absolutely iconic woman, and they make a comment, some like snidey comment about her leggings.
1: <laughs> I think that's in the Duran Duran piece. In the yeah, yeah.
2: piece, yeah. <laughs> I think everything you could say about Grace Jones and all they can think of is crazy leg warmers, Jonesy.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, oh.
0: I think Smash It's at this point, in terms of the people who were writing for it, it was still a bit of a boys' club. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it, it does come across in in the bits from this period and, and it's something that I've noticed, picked up on before when we've dealt with 1985, as things like, oh, girly swat and yeah. things like that. And, and it, it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. And when I read that Madonna piece, I thought, what, what is the point of that? I, mean, I, I couldn't actually find anything constructive to say about it yeah. i just put put some question marks but um, yeah I mean I, I remember uh, Smash It's had a a, a big pull out poster of Madonna around about this time uh, I think that the main photo was a desperately seeking Susan uh, thing and then uh, the, the other, other images around it and I put that on my wall in an effort to convince myself that I fancied Madonna <laughs> So I was 11 12 years old and I was desperate to find a, you know a female pop star to fancy uh, and I didn't fancy Madonna but I used to convince myself that I did and I did I've never told this to anyone this before <laughs> <laughs> but it was up on the wall. I used to stand on on, on the chair that I used because I had a cabin bed. <laughs> so the chair that I used to stand on to get into bed he used to move across to to the other wall. Get up and kiss the poster. Before <laughs> I <get to> bed. <laughs> it didn't last very long. Oh, the, the the thing oh. between me and Madonna. She oh. moved, she moved on clearly as this, as this piece it well, Moves
2: on and on and yeah.
0: on. <laughs> I don't yeah. even get a mention. Of oh. yeah,
2: where's your picture
1: in there, Galloway? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh little side kissing Madonna. Oh. <laughs> so we get to let's see what's this page 10 of uh, this issue of uh, Hits. And we get Howard Jones uh sitting well is he sat on, on on some rocks or something? Is there a bit of water below him? Is he on, on a cliff edge? It's a pebble it's a pebble.
2: <laughs> well he <laughs> little is small. Jones. Yeah, a
0: little Howard Jones. Uh, and, and he's staring meaningfully uh, down into the water with his uh he's got a little hat on there and uh, and some white boots. And the caption is, Life in One Day, which is the single that was, uh, well, uh, contemporaneous to this issue of the hits. And it says, How Jones is not a dawdler, give him 24 hours, and he'll contrive to pack in a spot of water skiing, a game of Monopoly, a whizz-along on roller skates, an episode of Dallas, and, of course, a vegetarian nosh-up. And you never know, he'll probably even play a sellout concert or two. And then he'll chat about it all to Chris Heath. So uh, Chris Heath catches up with um, Hojo in Toronto, where um, he's checked in under a pseudonym, Naldo Marchetta, a character from Dallas. I didn't remember that, and I'm glad that it says this uh, in this uh, edition of Smash It. uh, And Howard says, on every tour, I use a different name. On the last tour, it was Alphonse Conroy. Now we're all booked in as the Naldo Marchetta Orchestra. He's got a bit of a sense of humour as, as well, as yeah. well. He's a bit of a
1: card, anyhow. <laughs> he is. <Yes>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's. Uh, I think that's probably the most exciting thing in, in the feature, perhaps. <laughs> but he's talking about life on tour and uh, converting all his bandmates to uh, vegetarianism. Apart from four, who steadfastly uh, refuse to uh, humour him and carry on eating the meat. And, uh, well, I don't know, have you got the uh, book there, you know, talking about... Oh,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Talking about Howard Jones and and vegetarianism. Gavin, you've recently come into possession. Indeed, it's a cookbook. Rather
1: fortuitously, this, uh, yeah, I was alerted to the existence of this book. So it's a book published by a company called Green Print. I don't know if there's something to do with the Green Party or not, but um, it's from 1988, so a couple of years after uh, this edition of Smash It's. But it's basically kind of celebrities vegetarian cookbook so you can uh for example if you wanted to eat uh martin Shaw's scrambled tofu on toast or johnny walker's guacamole or nerys hughes's spinach surprise it's like a half man half biscuit song this isn't it uh, joanna lumley's amazing pudding
2: um, spike milligan does some weird like sweet spaghetti you mix up spaghetti with Sugar or
1: spaghetti dolce, right? Yes, spaghetti. spaghetti. Right, let's just have a look at Spike Milligan's a second, just (laughs) going off piste for a moment, (laughs) just see the ingredients of Spike's. So, Spike's um, spaghetti dolce is yeah, uh, eight ounces of spaghetti cooked al dente, no salt, five ounces, five ounce carton of double cream, two tablespoons of brandy and caster sugar to taste. (laughs) (laughs) Crikey. Uh,
0: So, yeah, if
1: you want to try that at home, uh, that's more about the brandy than anything else. (laughs) And uh, yeah, obviously Howard Jones also makes an appearance in this uh, with his lentil and red pepper sauce on page forty-two. Uh, it looks it looks all right. I mean, compared to Spike Milligan's pasta recipe, I think this is uh, a lot more palatable, isn't it? Okay, you know? is, is
0: it is it to be served with pasta? Is it is that what it's uh, intended? It for?
1: is to be served with pasta. Yeah, uh, easing the pasta down into the water as the ends soften. Yeah. <laughs> That's very gentle, isn't it? That's like yeah. Easing the pasta down into the water at the end, caressing the uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the pasta, no, chucking
2: there. it in for Howard. You got to ease it in.
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you know, so I, several years later, he was still uh, he was still veggie, and you know, I kind of presume he still is now, really, to yeah, be honest. I'm sure but, he yeah. is. Yeah. So yeah, fair play to him. Yeah. So the celebrity vegetarian cookbook available in all good secondhand bookshops. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So I was interested in um, how it'd been uh, into Dallas because I was a big Dallas fan and I was kind of thinking, oh, was I still watching it in 1985? Of course, 1985 was the classic year. It was the season of Pam's dream where she thinks Bobby's died and the following year Bobby comes out of the shower and he's not dead at all, sorry to spoil it for anybody that's catching up on Dallas from 1985. But I think that's kind of well known as being the year that Dallas jumped the shark. really. And it was all a dream. It was a major plot device. But yeah, we were still watching it then. uh, And Howard was loving it. Likes a bit of Dallas. I was
1: amazed reading it just how popular he was in Canada, because it talks about him selling out a 13,000 capacity stadium.
0: Ooh, well, he's, he's looking forward to playing an even bigger crowd. He is. <laughs> at Live Aid, he says that it's, uh, it's great to be involved. He beams. If there's time, I'm going to do three numbers Hide and Seek, and no one is to play him Solo at the piano, and a completely vocal arrangement of Life in One Day with my backing singer's Aphrodisiac. It sounds really good. We've been rehearsing it every day on tour, sadly he only got to perform one of those songs and it wasn't the one that he'd uh, he'd been uh, rehearsing with aphrodisiac every day on tour which is a shame really because um i think that would have been been quite nice because for me aphrodisiac are the the highlight of of that particular song Uh, but the um half of the feature is about the video for life in one day which is on the video playlist uh, if you want to go and check that out if you don't remember it at the time and I don't remember it from the time at all. Um, it's, it's quite a, a, uh, an individual, unique video, shall we say, uh, that wouldn't have made it to Top of the Pops because there's lots of uh, interruptions mm. on there. But as I mentioned, Aphrodisiac, um, it's nice to see them in the video. And, of course, they feature a pre soul to soul Karen Wheeler. Um, but the, the video is, is kind of a very cut-up, channel-hopping sort of affair and very reminiscent i thought of max headroom mm. uh, and of course max headroom had first come to our screens a couple of months before and and i was watching it thinking i'm sure Godley and Cream have got to have had a, had a hand in this mm. and what do you know, there they are, Godley and Cream mm. um, and, and I think also it, it feeds into something that Kevin Godley would go on to do and that's the Zoo TV thing with um, U2 a few years later which lots of channel hopping, interruptions and things like that yeah. but I think the the other notable feature of this video is that Howard plays uh, a lot of the male characters that we see in the video and I, I was I was watching it i uh, was thinking, is, is that Howard? Ch- is that one Howard Jones? <laughs> so, oh no, that one's not Howard Jones. But he's kind of—he's so anonymous mm, that he—he mm. he kind of you know he's—he's he's <laughs> chameleon-like. he's just—he just blends into the background of his own video. <laughs> the, the only thing that kind of gives him away is his chin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this piece does confirm that he's he yeah. plays most of the male characters in there so he's in a laundry powder commercial he's winning something from a newspaper he's a newsreader looking very much like chris morris uh, he really is isn't he yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> what, what a few years later but yeah he's missing his distinctive feature the hair the yeah. hair exactly the hair was his thing wasn't it It was yeah. his gimmick and, yeah. and without it and, and you know which makes howard jones almost like a biblical figure i think
2: <laughs> but, yeah, very brave to have a video that the BBC won't show in its original version, you know. Interesting. Mm. And it caught us out, didn't it, when we put it on YouTube? We actually thought if we got the wrong thing because even yeah. though we knew it was going to be a quite an unusual video, it does stutter so much at the beginning. And yeah, some stuff on YouTube is a bit weird like that anyway, isn't it?
1: I think because it starts off as a top-of-the-pops clip, doesn't it? So you, yeah. So you, you think you know what you're in for and then suddenly it starts – Cutting up and messing around, and then it takes a while before you you realise. Oh no, this is this is fine. This is the actual thing, because the, even the song stops in places, doesn't yes, it? And, yeah. and And that so that really throws you. So I think yeah, for its time, it's it's incredibly um, brave and sort of forward thinking, and mm. uh, and you know compared to a lot of eighties videos which have dated very badly, <laughs> this is actually it still
2: seems you know it's quite interesting and, um, yeah, and there's something yeah. to
1: watch. It's yeah, it doesn't disappoint still. Um, it's probably better than the song, to be honest.
2: And it does set him apart from, again, you know, the kind of glamorous people like, you know, Wham and Duran and or whatever. It, one of his selling points was that he wasn't glamorous and he was prepared to sort of do something that was a bit thoughtful and a bit more interesting, maybe. Mm. You know, he, I know he wasn't exactly like breaking down the walls of the establishment, but, um, yeah, it was, just, it was just always something a little bit quirky and a bit philosophical about Howard Jones, so... Yeah, a little bit of sauce pot for him. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that
1: I found quite interesting about this piece was his um, his quote at the end where he said, I'm only happy if people have strong feelings. I either want people to have to be really into what I do or the opposite. And, you know, I think it's that's the kind of thing that people who um, worry that they're perhaps a bit bland and a bit boring, it's the kind of thing they say. I think to try and engender some kind of strong feeling either way or another. Because I think most people really, I, I certainly never had much of a, a feeling either way for Howard Jones. It's kind of like Nick Kershaw for me. It was sort of, I didn't mind him and some of his songs were okay and I didn't hate them. But, you know, I, I found it hard to really like what he did and to really mm. buy into what he did as mm. well. Because he was, I just found him a, bit, a little bit wishy washy and a bit, just a bit polite. And, you know, there's a, those things are fine, but I wanted something a bit more memorable and a bit more, just a bit more kind of grist in the mill. I think, I think Howard deep down suspects that and probably wants a bit of that, but he's it's just, it's just not that kind of person no. and, and that's fine, you know. So when did you start to kind of, when did the wheels fall off the Howard wagon for you?
2: <laughs> I think probably by the end of 1985, the wheels fell off um, fairly soon So I didn't buy another album after this album. And uh, the first Smiths singles that I got, the first sort of Smiths vinyl that I bought was the following year, I think, like Ask and um, Big Mouse Strikes Again, and that that was kind of when I got into the Smiths. And so by that point, I was already into The Cure and Susie and the Bunches, but I think the Smiths felt a little bit more dangerous mm. than that and a little bit
1: Bit more subversive than Howard.
2: Yeah, was. a little bit more subversive than Howard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you couldn't really be less subversive than Howard Jones, could you? Uh, so th- this is one of the reasons why I like this smash hit. its because you've got, you know, we'll come on to the damned in a bit. You know, you've got the Shadow of Love by the damned in here, and just just a few for me, a few hints of other types of music that are out there that I would eventually go and explore. Mm. But at this point, if I had to pick something, probably would have just about still been Howard. Jones on the front cover but you know it wouldn't
1: yeah. have been for much longer okay so we move next on a, a two-page spread on Duran Duran and what are Duran Duran up to and it's really an article that's desperately trying to add some fresh air to the uh, rapidly deflated bloom <laughs> that is Duran Duran at this point um we've got sort of a little kind of columns on on different side projects and things that are going on so the Power Station, uh one of the two side groups that they've kind of split into, Robert Palmer has traumatised John Taylor <laughs> because he's not available for the Power Station tour, so they've had to rope in uh, Michael Debar, is that how you pronounce it? I think that's probably how you pronounce yeah, it. Probably. Yeah, yeah, So uh, John doesn't sound very happy about that. Meanwhile, Simon and Nick have been in Paris since the new year working on their secret project, which before long will uh, they will reveal as being Arcadia, uh, and we've talked about the video for election day oh, in yes, a, previous yeah. a previous podcast yeah. um more about a view to a kill the james bond theme which was also mentioned in bits earlier on in this issue it was recorded in one week after protracted negotiations simon lebon says it's about time they had someone decent to do the theme Ooh. <laughs> and uh but yeah they wouldn't have another single out for um, over a year so up to that point they'd been having fairly regular top 10 hits you know for a Several years, but this is really the wheels kind of coming off, and yeah.
0: uh, Th- things aren't well in in, in the no. land All of Duran Duran camp,
1: uh, as we'll know as well from uh, from Live Aid uh, the next week.
0: Yeah, but I don't think they're even very well in the power station camps. Obviously, you know, no. uh, <laughs> Robert Palmer's bailed. I, I guess the record company have forced them into a tour. They've had to rope in this other guy. Yeah, and Andy Taylor says the kids had bought tickets. And we'll be here to play. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're clearly not happy uh, about doing that either. It seems very, very forced. Yeah, it seems
1: uh, like a contractual obligation. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and, and also, yeah, because it says that the tour starts on June the 30th, so it was, it was already in progress by the time this came out. Mm. Already in progress by the time that the power station played at Live Aid. And it's awful, their, their little set they do. Uh, it's just absolutely yeah. disastrous. You know, Michael debarb. Should have been barred. He should have been barred, yeah. <laughs> he ain't no Robert Palmer, No, nice. that's that's for sure. And he always seemed a bit of a mismatch, Robert Palmer, singing over these kind of like, you know, uh, squally guitars and... and coke rock. Yeah, yeah, Coke rock, basically, yeah. And I think Robert did the right thing about bailing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think this um, spread... Is very like a kind of visual representation of where Duran Duran is at this point, where there's a lot of blank space, a lot of like poor quality graphics. (laughs) And the pictures we like the pictures of John and Andy, we're not sure if they're standing on a like a stepladder or just a little clothes dryer. Because on Andy, it looks really big, (laughs) Johnny looks really small. I'm not sure if it's the same thing or not. I mean,
1: yeah. If it is, then Andy's even smaller than Hammond Jones. Yeah. He? yeah. He's a little fella. Well, 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 tiny, well John Taylor's fella. quite a statuesque fella, isn't really, so. he? He's
2: very handsome, John Taylor.
1: <laughs> I think um, as, a, as a metaphor as well for them being dumper bound, uh, there's the bit where Simon Le Bon's talking about his yacht, you know, the practice he's going to have to put in uh, on sailing it and he's talking about an around-the-world race that's going to be happening and a month later it capsized, leaving him underwater for 20 minutes, almost dying and had to be rescued by a helicopter. And at the end it talks about, it says Duran Duran the future and it just ends with saying, it's a bit vague. <laughs> and yeah, and, and that's it. But they still get a two-page spread, you know, because I guess yeah. in uh, in years past and months past they've sold a lot of issues with Smash It. So I think obviously the uh, the team that put the magazine together still feel that there's enough commercial interest in having a bit about Duran Duran. But I think, uh, I would imagine this is probably one of the last kind of uh, double-page features they would have had, Mm. I I think. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think of you to a kiln? Were you you much of a Duran fan?
2: No, I wasn't really much of a Duran fan at the time. Um, I did have a copy of Seven and the Ragged Tiger, uh, but that was only because some reason, I'd gone out and bought a Genesis album when I was about 12, and it just... Uh, I don't know why I bought it. It was A Moment of Madness, and it had just sat there in my, uh, in my record collection. We've all done it. We've all done it. And uh, my English... I don't even know how this... Like, my, my music teacher, Mr Burrell, I got talking to him about it, and apparently, in A Moment of Madness, he'd gone out and bought um Seven <gasps> The Ragged Tiger. <laughs> and he it didn't know why that... Swap shop. <laughs> So, in the time-honoured 1980s fashion, I bought my uh, Genesis album in school. He bought his Duran Duran album, and we swapped, and we were both very happy. So that was the only uh, Duran Duran album I owned at the time. But then,
1: <gasps> sorry, i <I'm> just reminded. It <laughs> just reminded me of something that happened to me at primary school. Very similar story. One assembly, I must have been about ten. I, I think I was in the final year of primary school and um, uh, one of the teachers, he was, he was quite an, an old fella, and he did an assembly, and at the end he said, <laughs> by the way, he's, he loved trains and trains and trams, this guy, he was called Mr. Brown, and he said, by the way, he said, and he held up this picture of an album, and it was um, Breakfast in America by Supertramp, and he said, someone's bought me this album, and I think they thought it was Supertramp, but it's Supertramp, <laughs> and I, would anyone like to swap it? <laughs> It must have been a thing in the 70s and 80s And yeah. teachers yeah, just sw- going rogue yeah. with multicolour multi swap They must have seen it on telly and thought, <laughs> we'll and they got it. these albums. Yeah. But I, I think it was a harder sell. For, I don't think anyone wanted it. I mean, how many kids in 1980
0: are going to want a Supertramp album? I mean, Duran Duran, yeah, yeah. maybe,
1: but... No. Uh, have, you got,
0: have you got any stories? Well, I've was. got a swap story, but it doesn't involve a teacher. Oh, no, no. It's just, I, I, I swapped a, um, a police seven-inch single for a toffee apple. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! I think you got a good deal. I think yeah, I did I yeah.
2: definitely. Which got
0: single it. was it? It, it was um, "Can't Stand Losing You" on blue vinyl, XTube. Oh, so. oh well, maybe not. Then Make that, I think that's two toffee apples that'd be worth <laughs> in, a, in oh, a fair bar. Shot changed. <laughs> Turn the page. We get a couple more lyrics. Um, the Style Council, "Come to Milton Keynes," and Elton John with Millie Jackson, "Acts of War." Um, Lynn, I believe this is something that you uh, wanted to. Talk a little bit
2: about it. Yeah, well, initially when I started looking through this copy of Smash Hits, I totally flicked past this page and didn't even really give it another glance. Not a fan of uh, Paul Weller particularly, not a fan of Elton John particularly, couldn't remember either of the songs, so I just kept missing it out and uh, looking at other things. And then eventually I, I went back and actually listened to it and watched the videos, and I think they've been the revelation of the whole edition of uh, Smash Hits for me. So, um, come to Milton Keynes. I don't know what I was expecting. I've never heard it. I'd never heard this song before. I do like a little bit of the style council. I do like, you know, ever-changing moods and stuff like that. I, I like the kind of popular ones. I don't have a lot of time for Paul Weller, I'm afraid, really. Um, but I put the video of this on and it just, it's brilliant. You know, they they come out on stage at the beginning, like dressed like musical um Like Flanagan and Allen or something, aren't they, in like kind of fur coats and they're singing to an audience. And then the image is very, very dark. You know, this is like a real sort of socialist angry song about the death of the kind of dream of the new town. So the new town, when it was originally conceived, was was quite a socialist like left-wing idea that you'd build a a really good place for working-class people, affordable housing, all that kind of stuff. And then by the 80s, you're getting Milton Keynes, and I, I don't. I've never been to Milton Keynes. I'm not going to slag it off, but it, it was kind of the opposite of that aspiration. It was then all about money and just being for rich people, really. Commuter belt. Commuter bell, Yeah, it was a Thatcher. Uh, city
0: oh yeah i mean uh, Weller was pretty much everything song he was doing uh, around this time in, on, on our favorite shop you know it's really kind of banging on thatcher's door and yeah, and, yeah. you know public enemy is number 10 in walls come tumbling down
2: yeah yeah uh, and
0: and that seemed to be you know, yeah and walls come tumbling down it's like one of the best protest songs ever the lyrics on that one are amazing and i think this one it's because the music's quite whimsical, mm, and mm. then you get you know that that music hall beginning on on the video as well, and they don't really sit together well. Mm. Or that the the music is disguising actually how how cutting the the, the lyrics yeah. are. He's he's, he's yeah. not he's not pulling any punches oh, on, on this one no, at all. The,
2: the lyrics are horrific, and and, yeah. and, and,
0: and even gets in a, a little Smiths quote as well.
2: Oh, yeah, well, I was looking for a job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, The the absolutely. I, I love the melodies, just lovely sort of lilting melody that absolutely sticks in your mind. It's like it's been a real earworm for me for the last few weeks. And, uh, yeah, these very, very angry lyrics. And, uh, you know, Paul Weller from the south as well and, you know, from not a million miles where I grew up. And to be very, very left-wing when you've grown up in the home counties is actually quite difficult in lots of ways because, you know, growing up in Hertfordshire, being conservative with a small or a big C is absolutely like, it's part of the culture. It's part of who you are. I didn't, the idea of voting Labour for me in the 1980s was, it was almost like it was vulgar. It was almost like, it wasn't a political thing. It was almost like, well, you don't do that. And uh, it wasn't until I came to Sheffield, you know, the Socialist Republic of South Yorkshire, <laughs> that I actually started to think that voting labour might be something that ordinary people do <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> My mum stopped you know, like policing what I did when I went to the voting booth. So, yeah, I think this has kind of given me a little bit of a reevaluation evaluation of uh, Paul Weller, this song. I, I really love it and it's a re- been a real discovery for me. Yeah. So I yeah. think
0: that the video as well is... I think it stands up quite well yeah. and is clearly a massive influence on Britpop.
2: Yeah. When yeah, when you yeah. think
0: about uh things like the country house video yeah. by Blur and also that kind of juxtapositions of like the glamour that it's showing and the showbiz that it's showing in that video against like capitalism and and the grotesqueness, you know, with the little girl well, chasing the dragon yeah, for, for yeah, one thing, yeah. eating, taking a bite of the burger and all the, the, all the ketchup, ketchup, yeah, and, like and, blood. and the statue of liberty, yeah, um, slashing wrists wrists and, and and all that kind of stuff. So there's that real kind of cynical, grotesque that's part of the video and I think became a bit of a trope throughout the 80s uh, I mean Captain Sensible did a, a song later that year called Come On Down which is like a game show set in. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, And, and, yeah. and but, but it's kind of like a cynical take on that and I think it feeds so much into it's what we had 10 years later with Britpop.
2: Yeah the video's great I mean they um, there's a lot of humour in it as well you know it's, yeah. it's a very dark song but there's a lot of humour in it and there's a lot of humour in the video and I love the way they kind of dance, they're very physical and they're very natural in the way that they perform. Um, it's great, really excellent. I'd say it's probably one of the best tracks, one of the best songs featured in this edition of uh, Smash Hits. And to the left of the page... Conversely. And to, conversely, <laughs> on the right... <laughs> <laughs> ..is Act of War, And I think it's hilarious that they... It can't have been a coincidence they put... This together? Do you think somebody at Smash Hits <laughs> had a, an eyebrow raised because Act of War by Elton John and Millie Jackson is an absolute abomination? <laughs> uh, it starts at about four thousand miles an hour and it doesn't actually slow down at any it's, point.
1: It's just one pace all the way it's through, just, isn't it? Bang,
2: bang, bang, yeah. bang yeah. all the way through. And and Elton's wearing those that awful. Kind of where he wears these like military hats and oh the three quarter
0: um, length uh, yeah cow as well which makes him look even shorter than he is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and
2: that really bad mullety hair yeah makes his hair look worse than it actually is. everything about it is so awful
0: yeah I mean the the song itself I, I, I remember the song from the time but I haven't heard it for a long time when it came on when I was listening to the playlist I'm like guy really sounds like a reject from the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes it does. <laughs> It's, it's it's kind of non more non more 80s and, and i think um yeah 1985 is the year where particularly our elder statesmen of rock and pop, were, were struggling. The technology was kind of overtaking them and they were submitting to it and, you know, and weren't necessarily coming out with their best work. I'm no fan of Elton anyway, uh, but I'll save my opinions for an- another platform <laughs> probably. But it's just no match at all for Millie Jackson. And I think she's almost portrayed as like a Tina Turner type figure in this one. Mm. And, you know, she's very much her own woman.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. And
0: and very much not about this type of song if you no. know what Millie Jackson's all about. Well, it wouldn't even get in smash It's because um it's rather um x-rated stuff. Risqué, shall we say. <laughs> uh and isn't the isn't one of her album covers where she sat on the toilet or something yes. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they probably couldn't get Tina and so they got someone else and Millie Jackson owns it. Mm. But she probably didn't want to. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I think the less said about it the better, to be honest. Yeah. The best the best of times, the worst of times. Yeah. Right there on page
0: 18.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Moving on a few pages
1: and we get to some more lyrics. We've got Hip Sway, The Broken Years, and uh getting a lot more of the page. Uh The Damned with a lovely lovely lamppost almost coming out of David Fayan's. <laughs> head <laughs> and uh, it's the lyrics for The Shadow of Love. Um, Lynn this was a you were mentioning earlier on that you'd started getting into The Damned. Was was this kind of the first time you'd come across them really um, or were you a bit Yeah aware Grim- of
2: Fiendish yeah. I think it was the first single off the album Phantasmagoria uh, which was quite distinctive sounding it had the little kind of harpsichord opening and slightly quirky lyrics so yeah and then I think I, I bought the album and probably knew this single at this point and um, The Shadow of Love and then probably did a bit of what I've did with other bands and just went and checked out their back catalogue because obviously the Damned had been on a bit of a journey really because at this point they were quite, you know, romantic goths but obviously in the past they'd been leading punks of their day. Um, I
1: suppose by this time they'd been going almost 10 years really, have not they? Yeah, so yeah. quite elder statesmen of rock.
2: I think it really suited Dave I think he just was waiting for the day that he could grow his hair long and put his frilly shirt on really. <laughs> I think he just was treading water through the punk years but I think the rest of them were like just very uncomfortable <laughs> with the whole look, <laughs> and they couldn't wait to get that bloody frilly shirt off. But yeah, I love this. I love this album. I love the uh, Shadow of Love. Uh, I like the kind of whole epic feeling to it, and um, the gothic lyrics. and the, And the video is quite quite nice, isn't it? It's quite kind of gothic and shadowy, mm. and um, so yeah. I think at this point in 1985, Hipsway. Just more blah, middle of the road, <laughs> boring man stuff. But the Shadow of Love by the Dam's great. And, I, and actually, maybe the first time I saw the Dam was on um, the young ones, obviously doing you know I Made Love with a Video Nasty mm. a couple of years before. And and I think for a lot of people like me and my friends, that would have been the first time we'd really seen the Dam because we were too young for all the neat neat, neat and all that stuff. But Daveanian on the on the Young ones with Alexis Harris, Vampire, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that was a great Classic introduction. Classic episode. Yeah.
1: Classic episode. Nasty. We skip on a few more pages, and we get to Tom Hibbert, the mighty, mighty Tom mm. Hibbert, uh, who we all love on Giddy Carousel of Pop, reviewing the singles, and he's got a, a really good selection of stuff to look at. Um, his single of the fortnight—well, he's got two. There's an unlikely pairing, really. We've got the Ramones, Bonzo goes to Bitburg. And Prefab Sprout, Farron Young. Uh, so uh, the Ramones, he says that Joey's voice sounds more like a nasty accident in a hamburger factory than ever, which is a good thing in Tommy's book. And uh, Prefab Sprout, he, he confesses that he, he used to think they were just too clever by half and didn't like them, but he's been forced to eat his words. He says uh, that it, the single is witty, charming and quite excellent, but I still say the group has a stupid name. Um, and a little bit further down the page, uh, he's reviewing the Pet Shop Boys' Opportunities, Let's l- Make Lots of Money, which is obviously uh, sung by his ex-colleague and uh, his chum, Neil Tennant. It says, the vocalist person can actually sing. Well, like, he doesn't mention who the vocalist person is, but uh, he you know, he, he seems to like it. Um, he gives some short shrift to Freddie Mercury. He <laughs> yeah. says, argued with the worst record ever made. <laughs> and having watched the video... I would agree, actually. Yeah, oh, bloody it's awful. awful. Ma- made um, in heaven. Is made in heaven. Case, yes. So, yeah. It, um, it wasn't.
0: It really wasn't.
1: It was made in hell and should remain in hell for all eternity. And he doesn't like Morris's. Uh, he calls them undisciplined vocal swayings uh, that are becoming just a wee bit tiresome. That's the, the Smiths. That joke isn't funny anymore. And some <laughs> who's had a, a bit of a kick in on this podcast uh, yeah. before. I think in the in the Live Aid. What, live uh, one,
0: Aid uh, Part 2. Part 2, yes. <laughs> Poor Bell-Louis, uh
1: yeah, he, he, he didn't miss, go down very well sum. with our guest, Tim Robinson, <laughs> and it uh, doesn't go down very well with Tom uh, Hibbert either, who says uh, it's his single, Some People, and it's hard. Bellouie, Some, Some People, uh, It's you know, he should have chosen a different title for his song, I think, and he just basically says, not much good, really. No. So uh, Lynn, any any reviews there that catch your eye?
2: Um, well, I, I love uh, Bonzo Goes to Bitburg by the Ramones, so I, and I like the way uh, Tom Hibbert, his description uh, of a song that sounds like it was recorded by road drills in a tub of yoghurt. it <laughs> <That> was great. <laughs> I don't quite know what it means. And Jerry Ramones' voice, like a nasty accident in a hamburger factory. Um, but, yeah, I think it somehow manages... How do you capture the Ramones in words? Very, very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, OMD, um, Secret, has plagued us over the last few weeks because... You know, we both like a bit of OMD and I've, I've always liked, uh, you know, Joan of Art and things like that. I was thinking, oh, Secret, that's nice. And then you watch the video and it absolutely just, it's just a car crash, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. It's so <laughs> terrible that actually I think I now hate OMD. <laughs> I think the video did everything it wasn't supposed to do. I think it made me hate them more than anything else. What is it you didn't like about the video? They uh the video is like uh they're trying to tell the story of the song in a very literal way. So uh is is it Andy McCluskey has a secret that he's hiding from um Well I think they've both got secrets. They've both got from secrets each from yeah. each yeah. other. Yeah. That they're both basically um stepping out with the same girl uh at, at Cleethorpe's, I think it they're is. They're
1: just both looking maudy on a beach, <laughs>
2: aren't they, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it... It really doesn't do the song any good whatsoever. Just a very poor 1980s video, really very cheap. And Alcori's square rooms, I thought, it was quite a lot of fun. <laughs> I think you can't you can't beat a bit of like 80s drama drumming.
1: <laughs> he really goes for it. Well, I've seen the video of that song and a live clip, and he does the same. Because when you watch the video, he's got like some big Tom Tom drums at the end of his bed, and you're like. Why the heck has he got them? And then it gets to the chorus, and he does that thing with a
0: oh, spare rooms
1: and the square <laughs> rooms, spare rooms, rooms. his <laughs> <a> spare room, doing the video, and he does that thing where he's like boom, boom with the drum.
0: Yeah,
2: that's and, the uh, uh, unique selling point, isn't it? The yeah. big drums that he drums on. Yeah, the song. It's is very, very, very eighties. Well, what do you expect
0: from an ex cast member of Dynasty? Yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's
2: great stuff. Yeah, and changed by Sparks, love Sparks, very strange song, This strange choice for a single, quite low key, and obviously when you see Sparks, it's as terrifying as ever, but it's a bit of a grower.
0: I thought that song was amazing, I've never heard, I don't know yeah, that song, yeah. never, uh, Sparks are quite, uh, I find them quite overwhelming in a way. I like them, but there's so much of them. I just, I just don't know how to tackle it. And so I, I like what sparks I know. And when I hear sparks that's new to me, I also like that. So this this came on. I was listening to to this playlist in the car for the first time, so I didn't really know who was singing what songs. And it started, and I thought, yeah. Oh. It's just the art of noise. Who is this? Oh, it sounds a bit like "Simply the Best" by Tina Turner. What's, <laughs> what's going on? here? and then and Russell's kind of talking, which yeah. so, so it does sound a bit like it could be like a, a, a art of noise thing. But when he starts sings, ah, ah it sparks, yeah, yeah. and then just what an incredible song! It's another one that I've been listening to loads, um, and it's it's almost like it's. It's the whole of the 80s is like up to that point and what would happen after that point is travelling through that song. Mm. You know, with Art of Noise, a little bit of Frankie Goes to Hollywood in there. There's a Phil Collins drum fill in there <laughs> at one point. But it also sounds like what was coming out, uh, you know, what was getting into the charts a few is lighting. Like I say, simply the best by Tina Turner. That kind of that pulse that's that's going on in there. Obviously, this is a a much better song. Um, So it's it's like it's it's a conduit for the whole of the Mm eighties. It's just running through this song. I just think it's phenomenal. Really, really good. Sparks
2: are absolutely amazing. I mean, we've you know been buying their albums sort of as they come out every couple of years for the last few years, and they are just. The lyrics are brilliant. It's like they've just got this endless creativity and yet they always seem to stay a bit under the radar and a bit subversive, you know, yeah. but yeah. astonishing stuff.
1: What, what else caught
0: your eye in this, si? Um Well, I think the other song that kind of uh, confused me uh, out of all these when, when listening through to them was the Books Fizz one. I exactly the same. You and Your Heart So Blue. Now, elsewhere in the magazine, there's Bruce Springsteen, there's Nils Lofgren, and, and I'm thinking, oh, is, is this is this the Nils Lofgren track? You know, it's got that kind of Bruce Springsteen, Don Gritty. Henley, Don Henley, Boys of Summer kind mm, of yeah. um, vibe going on with that one. And it, and it wasn't until <laughs> I was going through the video playlist and it came on, I thought, oh, there's that song, looking up, expecting to see Nils Lofgren, you know, jumping up and down on his little trampoline. And... Books fizz? <laughs> Who knew? I mean, it sounds like it's something that should have been on the Top Gun soundtrack.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's very, very unlike anything else by them I've heard. You yeah, know? yeah, really out of character, isn't
0: it? Well, it's, it's just it's just one of the guys singing, isn't it? In a raspy kind of Brian Adams style voice. As for records that I bought that feature that, that are uh, in this issue of Smash Hits the billy joel single bought it on 12 inch single from the market in sheffield oh, it was fine. in the bargain bin uh, i had a bit of a thing mm. for billy joel in
1: 1985 <sighs> again video We're talking about videos we were talking about secret by
0: omd earlier on and the billy joel videos it's pretty bad isn't yeah well the song you know it says you're only human you're supposed to make mistakes and i did buying that record <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: One of them is buying this on 12-inch from Sheffield Market. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's forgiveness right there in the grooves. It's, it's not a good song and it's not a good video. Um, we should mention, while we're here, Russ Abbott's All Night Holiday and the, the cover of the single.
0: Well, yeah, because Tom Hibbert makes uh, a little bit of a, a mention of, of the sleeve, doesn't he? He does, yeah. He, he says, uh, the cover of the package holiday classic shows Russ
1: drinking stout, or well, such giants of pop as G. Michael, S. Switchblade, E. John... And even Mike Reed cavort on the beach around him; they should be so lucky. Why they're not fit to kiss the turf upon which this cerebral god of music and merriment daily treads. <laughs> and we were trying to work out who some of the people were. I mean, yeah, do you I take mean, a look.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had to, I had to, you know, go to Discogs and have a look at this sleeve. And you know, the, the rear sleeve is is just as interesting as, as the front. So it's uh, it's an illustration with uh, Russ Abbott and uh, and one of his what was it the the Jimmy character that he used to do the Scottish one George Michael uh, having a bit of a pose uh, with some short shorts on and holding a ghetto blaster type thing Elton John peering in Uh, yeah DJ Mike Reed not run around Mike Reed I don't know if it is strawberry switchblade, but I it think does. it is.
1: They've got the polka dot yeah. ribbons. I think it must be, yeah.
0: But then there's a, a couple mm. of people on, on that front that don't really know the arm. And, and the first one of those is the uh, chap in between the straws, if you can call them that, uh, with a, uh, a hat and a
1: big long beard. I think it's Fidel Castro in his swimming trunks, but I know it sounds incongruous, but the whole
0: thing's incongruous. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of who else it would be. With a big beard like that, yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought it might have been one of ZZ Top, but yeah, the the, the coloring's not quite right. No, the beard, no is
1: it? because he's got a dark a dark beard, uh, and ZZ Top were well, they were blonde, weren't they? The ones with beards, yeah. And we've also got like the buried head of someone who looks a bit like Kenny Everett, but I'm not sure it's either John the Baptist or Kenny Everett, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or possibly someone else. I don't know. It's like a it's someone so with a beard. sinister,
2: and it really does look like. One it's of those, hot. like, 16th century kind of Renaissance random figures. It's not even properly coming out of the, uh, the sand, is it? It's kind of blending into the it's sand, just, yeah. into Rosabit's knees.
0: Yeah. So it's almost like a ghost head that's, ghost uh, head. that's passing through, you know, the, the rest of his body it's is, is walking down some stairs that used to be on the beach or something, and, and all, all you ever see above, above uh, beach level is his head. So the whole thing is very troubling in every way. <laughs> and on the back cover,
1: you've, you, there's some uh, some odd stuff going on on the back as well. We've got a very recogn- recognisable Boy George, but then the other people, we're not quite sure. There's someone who looks like he might be a member of Status Quo behind Boy George, but... I'm
0: pretty sure that's Rick, Parf- Rick ah, Parfitt. Rick Parfitt. has got the yeah. right hair. The face is all wrong, but then... Yeah, but, but, but <laughs> the denim's right, and the thumbs and the belt loops. Yeah, it seems
2: how... Badly drawn boy George is really. It's not badly drawn badly boy. boy. Badly George. drawn boy George. Basically, he's like a kind of very slim girl, whereas we know boy George was a bit of a chunky Irish fellow, wasn't he? Yeah. He didn't have a little slender waist like that.
1: And then the most frightening thing is the helicopter, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the couch in the helicopter. And if you can zoom in on the, uh, the pilot of the helicopter, it's, it's yeah, really you've quite got ghostly. It's an
2: absolute, uh, you know, horrific figure of uh, death in the hel- helicopter. It's like, Screaming. A,
1: it's like a horrible public information uh, film from the 70s. <laughs> it's
0: about to be some horrible crash on the beach. <laughs> but, but who's the guy with the uh, T-shirt that says Butch on it, wearing a, a dickie bow and carrying what looks like Tracy Ullman?
2: Tony Blackburn.
1: I would have thought Tony Black... Again, it doesn't look that much like him, but I think it looks as much like him as the uh, Rick Parfit figure yeah.
0: does. I mean, it looks a bit too chunky for, for Tony Blackburn. Uh, but it so it looks to me like it could be somebody off bullseye or or pop black or something. I I can't I just can't work it out. I mean it's, the the whole thing it, it, you know when, when you take it as as a you know front and back is just quite bewildering yeah. and it's amazing. Uh, it and, really is. Yeah. Uh, and another thing that I've kind of become obsessed with that's this in, in this edition of Smashers.
2: It looks like the man at the back who's got black swimming trunks and is holding hands with the the woman in the yellow swimming costume. It sort of looks like he's carrying a knife in his mouth, he Is he? is carrying...
0: Is he? Is it David Bowie? Is it a Bowie knife? <laughs> <Yeah>. Ah,
1: <laughs> clever. Either that or it's... Uh, I thought it was Steve Norman out in Spandau Ballet, but uh, yeah. It did, could be a Bowie knife, yeah. It
2: could be a Bowie knife. Because I did that- wonder underneath, you know, like they have in very prominent letters a copyright message and whether they were worried about copyrighting the images of all these celebrities, so they slightly mess them up. So they don't okay. quite look like who they are, you know.
1: Well, the sleeve is by Mike Ryan. If anyone out there knows Mike Ryan and could put us in touch with him so we can get a full breakdown of the celebrities, that'd be great.
2: Definitely a bit of a prototype Cold War Steve. (laughs) (laughs) It's all his nightmarish glory.
0: (laughs) Just missing Phil Mitchell. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Still black. black.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, one of the stalwarts of Smush It's is the Get Smart column. Unfortunately, this issue, the questions aren't aren't the best. You know, sometimes we've got some really interesting ones. However, there is one which stands head and shoulders above all the others in terms of specific <laughs> questions. It's the strangest uh, thing I've ever seen in a Get Smart, even more so than uh, I think I saw Neil Tennant in a... Uh, a branch of a, a station is in London a few weeks ago. This one is just great. I, 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 this really made me smile. So this is from a, a Boy George fan in Rennell, does that say? Yeah, Rennell. Rennell. I, don't, I don't even know no. where Rennell is. No. Uh, so this is this is his question or her question. On Saturday, March the 9th, my uncle, my brother and myself were all fishing at Edgebaston Reservoir. As we were packing away our fishing gear at around 3.30 p.m., I saw a bloke go running past. He looked just like the lead singer with the grumble weeds. (laughs) You know, the one with blonde hair and beard. (laughs) Can you please find out if it was him? I mean, that's fantastic, isn't it? And... uh, and you know, fair play to Linda Duff. She she gets the information. It was indeed blonde and bearded Maurice Lee of the Mighty Grumbleweeds. He's only recently taken to developing his muscles and turning a body that used to be very weedy looking into a regular dynamo or something like that. Apart from jogging, he regularly takes part in marathons and does weightlifting and keep fit. Granada TV's Grumbleweeds radio show returns in the autumn, but if you can't bear to wait. The Weeds are appearing at Torquay's Festival Theatre until the end of September. <laughs> I just think it's great that a magazine existed that could cover this entire gamut of, you know, from uh, stuff about Madonna's love life to, you know, a, a Cocteau Twins uh, compilation album coming out in America to Max Headroom To I think I saw Maurice Lee of the Grumbleweeds jogging around a reservoir in Edgebaston. Can you find <laughs> out if it's true? <laughs> yes, it was true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just think it's brilliant. It's the it's the most specific thing ever, isn't it? And then we get to uh, page 35, above an advert for Hip Sway's The Broken Years, the first single by Hip Sway. It's RSVP, and my goodness, what a lively bunch of <laughs> RSVPers we've uh, got going on here. I mean, normally, you know, I find one or two people that you know, I may have written to or have written interesting or entertaining letters. Crikey. I mean, <laughs> take your pick. <laughs> I mean, do, Lynn, do you want to go first and pick out a couple of people who, whose letters caught your attention or who you would have written to?
2: Yeah, I would have written to two crazy plopettes, <laughs> aged 14. They wanted to hear from other plops and plopettes. We're heavily into the power station and Skritti And you had to write to Plip and Plop in Monthorpe <laughs> in Cumbria. <laughs> I'm just got strangely drawn to them, and I was a big fan of Scritti Plitty.
1: And the plops and the plopettes?
2: Yeah, why not? I think that sounds all right. I think that sounds like a good offer to me. I think the uh, Blow Monkeys and Lloyd Cole devotees desperately required just was trying far too hard. All stylish individuals. <laughs> 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 Dr. Robert, look alike, Trey, welcome. You are trying a bit too hard there. Yeah, so that's what I'm going for. Plips and plops or whatever they call themselves. <laughs> I like the sound of them.
1: I wanted to draw attention to a a very, very odd one that really caught my eye when I was looking through. The third one down in the first column. It says, Blimey, at nearly 30... 30? (laughs) That's me saying that. That's not the thing, but yeah. It says, at nearly 30, I must be the oldest regular reader of Smash It. If any girls... Oh, God, this is all wrong. Fancy writing to a music-crazy, sports-loving dinosaur contact... (laughs) Musky. Musky. <laughs> Musky of Lincoln. It it must be Lincoln. Lincoln, surely, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, well, we, we don't need to delve much further into that one, I think, but that's just... That's not right is
0: it 30 oh, just no. a, little, a little bit creepy there very the creepy. little do you think yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i, I think the, the opening letter gets things off to a, a fine start hello out there i'm no george michael but then again who'd want to be i'm 15 and into howard jones madonna Dee and some prince my nickname's cheese so if you want to know why pick up a pen and write to mature cheddar <laughs> <laughs> Um I would, have, of course, written to the uh, the Bowie fan, yeah, uh, Michaela, yeah. um, in uh, where's that Buntingford. She likes um, Bowie, Toya, Kim Wilde, Peshmode, early Duran, and early Spandau Ballet. I like collecting everything or almost everything on Bowie. Well, that's what I was no, into as great. well. Perfect you, for you, Sy. Si. Buntingford
2: yeah. was wasn't far from where I grew up, so I wouldn't have written to her because it would have been a, it would have been like that awkward distance that if we'd got to. Into, you know, being pen pals. Like, oh, uh, have I got to get my mum to give me a lift over to see you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't Things want to would go. Have got yeah, it would have been messy. Keep
1: your distance, yeah. particularly if you're writing to Muskie. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely want to keep your distance with Muskie. Well,
2: musky. we're seeing Lonken Lonkin? He doesn't Not even exist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's safer there. Yeah.
2: yeah. Leave him in Lonken.
0: Well, Matthew, age 11 in Swindon, says, uh, I like status quo and I am maiden, and I hate Duran Duran. Also interested in sports. <laughs> <laughs> if you like heavy metal, write to, etc. etc. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, a little bit of heavy metal creeping in there. I was intrigued with the sort of penultimate one in the second column from uh, Claire from Buckingham. She says, I'm 15 and my uncle's in an, and then in, quote, months up and coming new group. That was quite intriguing to me. I like most music, but especially Simple Minds and Depeche Mode, boys age 15 plus write to me. So, you know, I... I I would have wanted to know like, who's this up-and-coming
0: band that her uncle was into, and uh, did they, you know, did they ever get anywhere? And uh, Roger in Plumstead, I think he's writing to the wrong magazine. Really, I'm a 17-year-old male, high-energy lover who's especially into Dead or Alive, Sylvester, and Divine. I also love going to London clubs.
2: Yeah. It's like, oh, it's
0: a bit bit advanced in it for your average Smash It's reader. Yeah, that. definitely. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. not
2: going to have much time to write, is he? He's, he's not. He's out clubbing. Yeah. He just wrote that when he was coming down one yeah. Sunday morning. Yeah, at a mad moment.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's a great. I think something was definitely in the water that fortnight, wasn't it? Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, we've we've only picked out five or six, but we could have gone through the whole. <laughs> we could have just <laughs> done a, a podcast just on <laughs> one of those because they're
0: absolutely brilliant. That's my favourite RSVP ever. That. To so move on to uh, page 40, the world according to Max. He's suave, he's elusive, he's TV's most closely guarded secret. He's Max Headroom and he reveals his life philosophy and his legs over lunch with Maureen Rice.
2: I love Max Headroom and um, it's one of the reasons why I picked this Smash It's because of the Max Headroom article. Um, when the Max Headroom film was on Channel 4, in the 1980s, I guess it was that earlier on in 1985, it caught my eye and I recorded it. And it was just something I used to watch over and over again on videos, about an hour long. Uh, we watched it again a couple of weeks ago and uh, on YouTube. Twenty minutes into the future, and it's absolutely excellent. Really stands up. Really good. It's like the Max Headroom um, creation film of how he becomes Max Headroom. And it ro- works really well and it's funny and it's fresh and the, and the character of Max Headroom's really good. Uh, he's this uh, like a newspaper reporter, Edison Carter, that gets kind of digitised in a very early sort of rough, rough around the edges way. And it's witty and it went on to this really good spin-off of the video shows and the Max Headroom shows I used to watch and, and it was a way of finding out about some really good music. You know, I found out about bands like the Pale Fountains and stuff like that. So a lot of my contemporaries go, oh, Max Headroom, what was that? That was stupid. But actually, I had a big big part in my life, and uh, it's lovely to revisit it. But having said that, this article is just very odd. You know, they clearly knew that Max Headroom was quite popular at the time. It was on telly. It was kind of the in thing. You can't interview, like, a scripted fictional character. So I don't know how they put this together, It's kind of got the Max Headroom humour because it was a lot. It was kind of dad humour, like duff jokes and puns (laughs) and things like that. But the concept just goes on for far too long. It does a bit, yeah. Uh, Absolutely outstays its welcome. It's a bit of a shame, really. I think I would have liked an interview just with, like, the actor that played Max Head, you know, or the yeah. writer or something like that. Yeah,
0: because I can't work out, who are, are they talking to the writers or are they talking to no. Matt Frewer? Well, it um, can't really
2: be Matt Frewer, I suppose. Well, I well don't know. Well,
0: apparently it was, is a lot of it was improvised yeah. by, by Matt yeah. Frewer, so they kind of have the starting point and then he'd take it from there.
2: I mean, he doesn't uh, really, he doesn't have a, there's no, like, reference to Matt Frewer in here, is there? no. So, yeah, I thought it was maybe a little bit cynical, really, to me. It just came across as a kind of, well, we know we need to include Max Headroom because we know it's popular at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think the humour just falls quite flat in this, doesn't it? A bit like when we covered Mr Bean in a previous one. It's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Sort of a fictional character that's trying to be funny, and when you take them out of their normal environment of TV and the the more kind of physical, you know, like Mr Bean's very physical and Max Headroom is as well, and you need that voice... And when you just have it flat on the page, the humour doesn't come across and you just think, What what's the point of this? I mean, that's all I've got in my notes is I do not understand the point of this at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got I've got very little more to add. Other than, you know, as Lynn was saying, the the original film, The 20 Minutes into the Future, is great. If you've not seen it, because I never really understood what Max Hedrian was about at the time. I, I never I didn't see that film then. I, know, so
0: I, I remember watching that at the time. and all was
1: the quite blip, late on Channel four or something, and, and sort of yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't really ever understand it, so I never knew who this odd character... I mean, he'd pop up on things, but I was like, what, I don't, what is this? Who is it? Why is he famous? What's going on? But seeing that made a lot of sense, and it was brilliant. It was like a sort of a Terry Gilliam kind of dystopian, really odd film, but it, it sort of dated, but in a good way. It, it still looked great, and... It's a good
2: story about kind of independent creativity versus yeah. like the kind of corporate greed of the world, isn't he? And Max is a bit of a a rebel character in the end, isn't he? He's, he's a good character.
1: Yeah, I th- I, th- I thought that was great, and but yeah, this article. No, I think it's a well, bit of a well, misstep.
0: Yeah, it does make mention of an interview with Sting in this piece, and I've added that to the YouTube playlist. But I think the, the, the best thing about this piece being in Smash It's is that I've gone back and watched some Max Headroom, yeah, and I haven't watched yeah. any Max Headroom for ages. A
1: rapidly approaching the end of the magazine, but just before the lovely picture of Green from Scritti Politti on the back page, we get, as Cy mentioned earlier, on the first appearance, really, the first feature with um, simply read Mick Hucknall is met by Tom Hibbert and it's kind of unusual really I think in that he's he seems absolutely fully formed already doesn't he Mick Hucknall and he's he's ready for stardom and he's you know he's like um, often in the first interviews with pop stars you can see them kind of feeling their way a little bit and you know not quite sure of their persona but it feels like Mick has been born for this moment and uh, you know he's he's got a lot of opinions and Talks a lot about the future and what's going to be happening in the future, that kind of thing.
0: So I, th- I thought this was quite an interesting, despite it being a very short article, it's very interesting. I'll just say, I don't know what you're talking about, because I couldn't read any of this in my magazine. I oh, did you struggle? I struggled. I don't know if it's printed wrong or whether I, I, I went over the text with a yellow felt tip or something oh, like yeah. that. I just and can't it's read insane. it. It is quite
2: is, hard to read. Is, is
0: it is it yellow in there?
2: No, it's not
0: that bad. No, that's better than mine. Mine's mine's badly oh, okay. printed, so I haven't read. Oh, you to read it? So, okay. yeah. Well,
1: so yeah, they've, they've only had one single out already, uh, but he's got quite a spiky persona, and as I said, it's quite an entertaining interview, and he's already behaving like he's quite famous. I certainly think Morrissey's been a bit of an influence on him, just in, in some of the language he uses. There's, um, there's a bit where Tom Hibbert asks him about TV, and you could read this in Morrissey's voice, and, you you know, it just sounds exactly... Oh, sorry, the cats are fighting.
2: Girls, <laughs> nice. Just, just like Morrissey and Mick Hucknall, <laughs> <Yeah>, Exactly.
1: <laughs> Stephen Patrick, leave it. Mick, <laughs> down. Um, so... Yeah, there's a bit where uh, Tom Hebbitt asks him about TV and his uh, answer is very kind of Morrissey-esque really. He says, I think most television is stupid and sick. I can't get people's sense of humour when they say they like Dallas and Dynasty. I just think they're being silly because those programmes are obviously distasteful. I despise American things like that. I don't know how I'll cope when we go over there. Definitely influences of Morrissey in his, uh, in his mm. answer there.
2: Yeah, I hate canned food and I've never been to one of those McDonald's. <laughs> one of those McDonald's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he's also talking about it says uh, already he's talking in terms of world domination and what to put on the group's eighth album. He'll, Mick Hooknell also says, I know that in a few years journalists will turn on me and make me a scapegoat to slag off like they've done with Boy George. I don't think Boy George deserves to be victimised, but then he does deserve to be criticised for making dreadful music. Mm. Ooh. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Mick in, uh, in early days, but already in full flight. Uh, yeah. And then there's the lyrics to... Yeah, so that's, uh, that's simply red. And, uh, and then we just have mutterings, an advert for some batteries, <laughs> ever-ready gold seal, and then lovely green wearing a very fetching tie. And his hair's all nice, oh,
2: and uh, completely yeah, completely hun- like handsome a sort of school ties. Handsome
1: fella, his hair. well, agree. he
2: was a model, well, wasn't, well, he? wasn't
1: he? He was a model. Yeah, and he he, he looks great in that. I'm yeah. sure that picture would have graced many a bedroom wall. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the end of Smash Hits from July 1985.
0: So yeah. what's, it, what's it like going back then? We know that you've kind of re-warmed to Howard Jones. You've reheated your... Uh... <laughs> well, a
2: little bit. Yeah, not don't not overly much, no. <laughs> still a bit tepid. Yeah, still, I think it's still a bit tepid. I think the Style Council, uh, Adam and I know we haven't really talked about it, it was an advert for Vive La Roque. Um So there's things in here that have stood the test of time for me more than I might have thought of. You know, if someone had said to me, what did you think about 1985? I wouldn't have said, you know, The Ramones or Propaganda or Adamant, but actually looking through here, they are the tracks that I like now, you know, that stick with me now. So there's a lot of really classic pop in here and a lot of very frivolous stuff as well. So I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed my ride on the uh, Giddy Carousel very much. I might get off before I start to feel a bit sick.
0: It's always best. (laughs) (laughs) Gav, what's your thoughts on this one, going back and looking? I mean, as we've said, it's a period of time that we've looked at and I think we've probably done more editions of Smash Hits from 1985 than we have any other year I don't quote me on that, but <laughs> I think I think this, this may be the fourth time we've been back to 1985, and I know that it's my pop-happy place, and I, I enjoy the playlist tremendously. Whether or not the music's any good or not is, is irrelevant. <laughs> I just like it. Yeah. <laughs> even, even if it's bad, but what, what, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I still enjoy it. I mean, uh, I'm a couple of years older, so my absolute kind of uh, golden period, I guess, is probably... More like 83 84 than 85, but there's still a lot of great stuff in this, and and there's still you know, I know we've said it before, but I think when Smash It's had that real breadth of covering all sorts of stuff, and lots of different things reviewed, and lots of different song lyrics and things mentioned in bits, and and even the grumble weeds and get smart, you know. (laughs) Um, and I, I just love that very kind of Catholic, um. Taste that that the magazine had, and obviously you know Howard Jones and Duran Duran and Green and, and Pete Burns are going to sell more copies, but they'll put other stuff in as well, mm. and there's there's something for everyone in it, and you know the fact that the Ramones and Prefab Sprout got joint single of the week and stuff, mm. you know it's it's great, and and it's just so funny, you know all the stuff about Rock's Lost Highway in bits, I'd I'd totally forgotten about reading it again. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> that was like a, a phrase that I used to, you know, it kind of really. Resonated with me because they, they used it so much in Smash Hits and it really made me smile. And the headlines like Humpe Humpe stick it at me, jumping. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just like you said, Sai, really a happy place and, and very different times, but great and really nice to revisit and, and listen to the music. And, you know, there's a lot of fun with the videos in, in this mm. era as well. Even the bad ones are, are so bad that they're kind of funny and, and enjoyable and entertaining anyway. So thank you very much, Lynn, for joining us. It's been lovely having you on board.
0: Thank you, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to check out our website, giddypoppod.home.blog, where you'll find the links to the issue of Smash It's that we've been looking at, along with those Spotify and YouTube playlists, so you can enjoy your ride on the carousel to its fullest. And, of course, you can check out our previous episodes, playlists and scans, our back issues, if you will, while you're there. And if you want to support us by buying us a coffee,
1: we would be forever in your debt. Coffee.com forward slash Giddy Pop Pod is where you can go to do that. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Giddy Pop Pod. And come and say hello to us at Giddy Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you're really nice
0: and polite, we'll say hello back. We will indeed. So thanks again. So thanks again. So thanks once again for listening. <laughs> And we'll see you next time on the Giddy Carousel of Pop.
1: Bye!